Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. So good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to this VPC live event, Healthy Sleep in Everyday Life with Dr. Bay Bay. Um, this is the second in the series with Dr. Bay, and uh, we're thrilled to have her back with us. Um, Dr. Bay is a senior research fellow at the Turner Institute for Brain and Mental Health, clinical psychologist and the research lead at Monash University's Health, healthy Sleep Clinic. She holds a Doctor of Psychology, Clinical, and a PhD from the University of Melbourne. Her research and clinical work focus on the individual differences in sleep-wake behaviours, the relationship between sleep and mental health, and psychological interventions for better health. So, Bay, welcome. It's lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much. Um, I'm really excited to come here again and talk to you about health and sleep in everyday life. And again, I really appreciate the opportunity um, given to me by Victorian Parent Council. And thank you for really recognizing sleep as such an important aspect of our health. So I'm going to just jump straight into it. So the things I'm going to cover today is I'm going to go through some different potential different causes for sleep problems, um, some building blocks of healthy sleep and when and where to get help. And we'll also um, hopefully have some time for questions and discussions. Now, uh, in my clinic, I often have patients come and tell me, and they often have a very similar kind of complaint. They will say, I have trouble um, falling asleep. I feel tired all day, and my sleep problem is really affecting what I do and how I feel day in and day out. It's very frustrating. And many people have the same kind of complaint, but Often when we look closer, the underlying reasons might be quite different. So here it is, Mr. Fun Loving, and he's pretty social and outgoing. He might be partying two to four times a week till really late. And he loves wine and good company and he's on social media all hours. And he also loves playing games, but he might be feeling really sleepy all day long. Now here is Miss Moonlight and she might be doing year 12 and she lives far, lives far away from home and she has to catch a very early uh, morning public transport to get to school. And she kind of described herself as a night owl. And, but she, when she tries to go to bed around 10 p.m., she's often wide awake and takes her ages to get to sleep. And she also struggles to get up in the morning and often sleep in till quite late on weekends. Now we have Mr. Long Night. Now he's a busy, he has a very busy and demanding job. He also has a history of depression as well. And he will say it takes him hours to get to sleep and he will toss and turn and his mind will race and he will be ruminating about things. And he also feels quite distressed about not sleeping. And he will be worried that if I can't sleep well tonight, I can't function at work tomorrow. Now, finally, we have Mrs. Never Refreshed, and she's a retired school teacher, and she doesn't really have problem getting to sleep, and she normally sleeps eight hours a day, but she still feels really sleepy and tired during the day, and she will wake up briefly during when she has hot flushes at night, and sometimes she will also say she snore herself awake. 
people might have the same kind of sleep complaints, but there might be many different reasons that underlying these. And we might have sleep deprivation or sleep restrictions that's kind of out of voluntary control. And uh, like Mr. Fun Loving, he might be lacking sleep opportunity and be sleep deprived. We might also have a misalignment between our internal body clock. I'll talk about this in a moment and the lifestyle that we want to live as well. And when that happens, we also don't get good night's sleep. Then, then we also can have insomnia and that might also come with or without some um, coexisting mental health uh, conditions such as depression. And sometimes we also might not sleep well because um, of some other physical health um, issues or other sleep disorders like sleep apnea. Now, before I go into uh, more details about how to get good night's sleep, I want to show you this. Here is a survey that's done nearly 10 years ago, actually a while ago, by Sleep Health Foundation in, in Australia. So what they found was about 20 to 35% of Australians actually said they're not quite happy with their sleep. So if you're not happy with your sleep, you're definitely not alone. But among these people, actually about half of these people's sleep problems actually because of some voluntary choices that they've made to limit their sleep opportunity or they had some poor sleep habits. And things like regularly having a laptop or tablets um, in, in bed or drinking coffee after 2 p.m. or drink more alcohol than they should. So in the, our very busy 24-hour society, when we, since, really since the invention of electricity and light, sleep is really competing for time with all the rest of the things that we do, things we have to do, work, looking after other people, travel, or things we love doing, like going out, um, using electronic devices, or things that we like doing, the drinking alcohol and things like that. So sleep is competing for the time and uh, resources with the rest of our life, essentially. When sleep is um, poor, or when you don't get enough sleep because it's a voluntary choice, it actually takes more than just thinking, okay, sleep is important to actually make some changes. Now we all know that sleep is important, but if we want to prioritize sleep, it also often means we actually have to give up something else, something we have to do or something we love doing. So if you're in this situation, maybe have a good think about some cost benefit analysis and um, what will good sleep bring? Would that make you feel better during the day, give you better mood, make you feel that you can relate to other people better or potentially give you better, better health in the longer term? And what about trying it just for a short term? You don't have to live that like this for the rest of your life, you don't want to, but let's see what's gonna happen if you try it for a week. If seven days a week is difficult, let's try four nights a week and let's see what happens and try have some curiosity and do some experiments and see how having even just one additional hours of sleep, if you're sleep restricted or sleep deprived can do for in terms of how you'll feel during the day and really acknowledging what benefits that additional sleep could potentially bring. And also try to get the whole family and your partner or the whole family involved and on board could be really helpful. Let's assume that you're motivated to actually do something about your sleep. And I'm going to go through some building blocks of healthy sleep. Now these are body clock, the sleep drive, the bed and sleep association, valuing quality over quantity, how we think about sleep, and also a quiet mind and relaxed body. I'll go through each of them. 
Now, before I do that, I want to quickly mention something about sleep hygiene. Now, everybody have heard about sleep hygiene, and this means having a comfortable bed and, um, and having a good mattress, feeling comfortable, um, try not to drink alcohol or drink coffee during after certain hours and things like that. Now, these things are very, very helpful in terms of maintaining a good um, sleep routine and habits over time. But often what we find is that th these things are often not enough to actually really address some sleep concerns, especially if they are more severe. Now, the, the one of the most important building block about healthy sleep is something called body clock or the circadian rhythm. So the body clock is like an internal 24 hour timer that sits in the middle of our brain. And this clock or this timer kind of sends out alerting signals throughout the day. Now, this, it sends out high alerting signals in the morning. So we wake up being alert and keep being alert throughout the day. But the alerting signal kind of start lowering and diminished at night so that we can um, start to get sleepier in the evening. And that will be ideal for sleep. Now this clock actually ticks slightly differently across different people. So sometimes one person might have a faster clock, one person might have a slower clock, one person might have an earlier, one person might have a later clock. And, but most of us kind of are tuned around the 24 hour night and day cycle. Some people would describe themselves as night owls and these people have a later clock. And some people might say that they are morning larks and these people might have more early body clock. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a, a lark or a owl. Um, and it's really only when your body clock is not kind of agreeable to the lifestyle that you want to live. For example, if you're a night owl, but you have work commitment starting at 6 a.m., that can be quite challenging in terms of your sleep. One of the most important thing, I would say probably the most important thing that will tune our body clock is light and dark, and more importantly, light in the morning. So in order to have a well-tuned body clock, what we need to do is that um, when we naturally wake up in the morning, you really want to shine as bright light um, to your eyes as you possibly can find. And that first ray of morning sunshine hitting your eyes can really tune the body clock uh, as you wake up. And if you give that kind of morning tuning bright light to your eyes in the morning around the same time every day, you're going to keep your clock tuned around the same time. Um, over time. So very bright light in the morning. Now what you want to do the opposite thing, uh, what you want to do in the evening is actually the opposite thing. You actually want to have relatively dim light in the evening. So you can look out for what's happening with the sun. When the sun is gradually going down and the outside is getting dark, that's probably a really good signal that um, you want to start to dim um, the, the light around your house and especially the couple of hours before you go to sleep so that you can help your body produce melatonin and um, prepare your body to go to sleep at night. Now, sometimes the body clock can tick much later or much earlier than we want them to be. And that's when uh, circadian rhythm disorders or body clock disorders can happen. 
And I want to say that if you find yourself in that kind of situation, you are a particularly night owl or particularly morning lark, like say you naturally wake up at three o'clock and you don't want to wake up that early, or you naturally wake up at say noon or 1 p.m. and you want to wake up much earlier. And these are actually quite treatable. So going to a sleep clinic um, and will be really helpful because we can actually use bright light therapy and melatonin in combination to help treat um, body clock disorder. Now, moving on to the next component of healthy sleep called sleep drive. The first thing you want to know about sleep drive is that it's good for us. So um, it's a good stuff. It's good because it helps us get to sleep quicker and stay asleep longer. Now, the way sleep drive works is that it increases as we spend more time awake. As you can see here, you, if you wake up, as time goes by, your sleep drive goes up. And it's a little bit like hunger for sleep, um, like hunger, like say when you just woke up in the morning, you just had a big night sleep, like you're pretty full of sleep, you're not quite hungry for sleep, so your sleep drive is relatively low. And as you go through the day, more time increases and your sleep drive goes up and at night, hopefully, you have, if you have napped during the day um, and your sleep drive will be at the very highest just before you go to sleep and your body clock will be sending weak alerting signal at that time. And when these two things line up together, that's a perfect sweet spot for sleep. So the thing with sleep drive is that it goes down really, really quickly as soon as we sleep or take a nap. So it take a dive um, as if you do take a nap. So this is one of the reasons why sometimes if you can't sleep well at night, um, we sometimes if you skip the nap during the day, if you do nap, uh, that can really help accumulate the sleep draft. You save it up for later to have, uh, have more sleep at night. So the way we feel sleep drive is actually sleepiness. So one of the really common things that I hear from my patients is that, oh, sleepiness is terrible. I really don't want to feel sleepy. If you're feeling like that all day, I actually would like you to have a different way of thinking about your sleepiness. So the way when you feel, of course, if um, you are feeling very sleepy, that's probably a good sign that you're not getting enough sleep or you're having some sleep issues. So um, first of all, you probably want to check out with a health professional. But if that's the thought that bothers you, so if you, when you feel sleepy, you really want to tell yourself that, okay, this might not mean that, okay, I had a bad night's sleep or um, like I probably won't get a good night's sleep. When I'm feel, feeling sleepy, it's actually a good thing because my body is telling me that my sleep drive is being accumulated and that's probably a good sign that I'm probably gonna fall asleep and sleep through at night better. One of the things that can be really helpful to do for both your body clock and the sleep drive is to get up around the same time every day. And the reason for that is that if you do that, do that you will actually build up pretty similar amount of sleep drive. Remember sleep drive increases as you spend more time awake um, during the day. You're gonna um, accumulate similar amount of sleep drive around the time you, go to, you not normally go to bed. And that's gonna really help bring up that wave of sleepiness around the same time. So, and so that you can go to bed. And this is especially important if you had a poor night's sleep the night before. So if you sleep in, you're more likely to push your body clock even later and you might be sleepy um, 
a little bit later at night as well. And you also have less sleep drive when you go to bed around the same time. So if you didn't have a good night's sleep, the following day, if you get up, still get up around the same time, you're gonna really help resetting your sleep um, and prevent that one night of poor sleep uh, from turning into many more nights of poor sleep. So I'm gonna move on to talk about the bed and sleep association. Now imagine a good sleeper. They normally go to sleep and their head hit the pillow and they fall asleep. So there is a very strong association between bed and sleep. So these two things kind of pair together. Bed means sleep, rest, comfort, and not much things happening. Now imagine a poor sleeper and um, they often go to bed and then they feel wide awake and they toss and turn, they feel frustrated, they have a lot of worries in bed. So bed and being awake now get paired together and not bed and sleep. So they go to bed, being awake, toss and turn, feeling frustrated and feeling worried, bed and wake, bed and wake. So when these two things get automatically paired together for our brain and for our body, uh, when we go to bed, our brain sometimes, somehow just wake up because of that automatic association. So one of the really helpful thing to do to, is that you can actually unlearn that kind of bed and wake association. So what we really want to do is that you, you only go to bed when you feel um, less alert, your, your wave of sleepiness is coming and you are a little sleepy. So you go to bed only when you're sleepy. But when you are feeling awake, toss and turn, feeling frustrated and feeling worried, you actually want to remove yourself from bed so that the bed is not further associated with, with these wakeful activities. So what we want you to do is actually you go to bed. So you, you want to get ready for bed a little bit earlier in the night so that um, you want to look out for the wave of sleepiness. It's kind of, it's so surfing, picking the right time um, to go to bed. It's like surfing the wave of sleepiness. So you want to watch the rise and falls of your sleepiness. And as the wave of sleepiness comes, that's a really good time to actually go to bed. Then what's gonna happen is that bed becomes associated with sleepiness and you're more likely to fall asleep quicker when you go to bed when you are sleepy. So one of the um, really helpful tips about actually getting to sleep easier is actually picking the right time to go to sleep. That is when the wave of sleepiness comes. Now, if you find yourself tossing and turn and feeling frustrated, feeling awake in bed, that's probably a really good sign um, to actually get yourself out of bed. You know that you're not gonna fall asleep in the next 10, 15, 20 minutes. You've been there before, you know that feeling, you know that you're not gonna fall asleep quickly. So trying harder is not going to make sleep happen quicker. So this is actually a really good time to take a bit of pause, take a bit of a break and get out of your bed and just let's wait for the next wave to come or, or even just take a bit of a break, cool down and then go back to bed when you're feeling a little bit more relaxed. And of course, we don't want to do too many kind of wakeful things in bed. I know that with the lockdown and sometimes people don't have the space to do studying or reading and a lot of those things might be moved into the bedroom and bed that can further kind of condition the bed and being awake association. So it will be really helpful if you just keep bed um, for sleep and sex only.
Now I'm going to move on to talk about um, sleep quality. And we actually care about sleep quality more than the quantity. So I often ask, get asked this question. So how much sleep do I really need? Don't we all need eight hours of sleep? And I heard, I've heard really bad things can happen if I don't get eight hours of sleep. Now, if you are not getting enough sleep, yes, there could be consequences for your health. But at the same time, the number of hours of sleep that we need is not one number fits all. So we are all different. And um, as I'm um, illustrating here with this picture, um, not, not only do we all might have different number of hours of sleep that we need, but the number of hours that we need might change across our own lifespan. For example, when we were younger, we typically sleep a lot more. And as we get older, the number of hours that we sleep get shorter as well. Now, the best way to tell whether or not you've had enough sleep is really paying attention to how you feel during the day and how you can function during the day. If you're feeling reasonably well and you, you kind of, you're not for, kind of dozing off, you don't have, feel sleepy um, and you feel alert most of the time, there's a good chance that you're actually getting enough sleep. But if you worry too much about, like say, if you're getting seven hours of sleep and you think you should be getting eight and you're worried about it, but you're feeling okay during the day, you're actually making yourself even more anxious about sleep. And you know, if, when you feel anxious about sleep, sleep actually will happen even harder. Now, the way we think about sleep quality is a bit of a simple formula actually. So we call it sleep efficiency. So how efficiently that we sleep. And we calculated using this formula, essentially it's very simple. So we divide the actual amount of sleep that we have per night by the amount of time we spend in bed. For example, if you sleep for eight hours and you stay in bed for 10 hours, you get a sleep efficiency of 80. If you sleep only five hours during that 10 hours you spend in bed, you get 50% um, sleep efficiency. Now, what I often see is that when we don't get good night's sleep, what we typically do, we kind of think if we spend more time in bed, we're gonna get more sleep, right? So that's not actually necessarily true. So if we look at the formula here, and if you increase the amount of time you spend in bed, but you don't necessarily sleep for much longer, your sleep efficiency actually is gonna go down. And this is exactly what we typically see in insomnia. So um, sometimes when people don't sleep well one night, they think, okay, I'm gonna to go to sleep earlier the following night or sleep in a bit later the following day so I can make up for the sleep that I have lost before. And that doesn't actually work this way because um, you can't actually um, trick your brain to sleep much longer than you can. And what's gonna really happen is that when you go to bed an hour or two before you normally go to bed, you hit a zone when you are particularly feeling alert. We actually call it like the wake maintenance zone. You are actually, so you're not sleepy quite sleepy yet at that time, but you are tr trying to force yourself to sleep at that, that time. And you're actually gonna get even more frustrated at that time. So you're gonna get even more trouble getting to sleep. And imagine sleeping in, we talked about this earlier. If you sleep in, in later, you're gonna have a later body clock and you're gonna have less sleep drive. So 
all around, if you stay in bed for too long when you don't sleep well, that's actually gonna hurt your sleep efficiency and eventually actually um, make the sleep problem last for even longer. So this is one of the reasons that if you don't get a good night's sleep, it's actually really helpful to still try to get up around the same time the following morning. Now I get asked about this a lot. What if um, I don't make up for the sleep? What's gonna happen now? Our brain is actually really clever because we actually have the ability to make up for the sleep by sleeping deeper automatically. Not necessarily longer, sometimes longer, but if somebody is sleep deprived, when, they, when we bring, in, bring them into the sleep lab and put on the electrodes and measure their sleep, what we typically see is that during the sleep first sleep cycle at night, they went, as soon as they fall asleep, after they haven't slept for a while, we see this rebound of deep sleep. So you don't have to worry too much about the a bit of sleep you've lost the day before. Just be reassured that, okay, your brain is actually gonna automatically make up for that sleep um, by sleeping deeper. By saying this, I'm not saying that you can um, go without much sleep over a long period of time because that's going to accumulate and hurt you if, if, that's, um, if you're trying to restrict your sleep. But if occasionally you have one point night sleep, um, be assured that when, next time when you go to sleep, your brain will make it up. So the next thing I'm going to talk about is how we think about sleep. And the way we think about sleep and the beliefs that we hold about sleep can really affect how we sleep. Now imagine someone has a poor night's sleep and it wasn't pleasant to go through that. And the following day, they might worry, okay, am I gonna have a good night's sleep? Am I gonna go through that awful thing I had the night before again? So as soon as they start worrying about sleep, they always start to get a little bit more tense around evening and nighttime. They start to think more about sleep and this could potentially become a bit of an anxiety about sleep. And when we feel anxious about sleep now, sleep is really the opposite of feeling anxious. Like it's, sleep is a very calm and relaxed state. Not feeling anxious is tense and it's the opposite of sleep. So when you feel anxious about sleep itself, that really can make sleep much worse. So it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle. And this is something sometimes that can happen in insomnia. So if you catch yourself thinking, okay, if I don't sleep well tonight, I really can't function the next day. Now maybe change that kind of thought into, okay, I might not feel 100%, but I'm likely to be able to do most things I had planned. I might feel 70%, but that's okay. So that thought, it's gonna make you feel a lot more relaxed about your sleep if you're in bed thinking those thoughts. And sometimes you might also go, okay, no, I can't sleep. It's so frustrating to be awake at this hour. Now that thought is going to immediately make you feel more tense. So instead of thinking it's not pleasant, but if I keep checking time, it will only get me more worked up about it. So let me just um, focus on how I'm feeling. Take a deep breath right now. I can't control when I'm going to fall asleep, but all I can do is just focus, focus on resting my body and maybe my mind will follow. So it's really important to have, have, have a bit of a healthy balance about sleep. Now, earlier in the talk, I mentioned 
how important it is not to sacrifice sleep for other things. So you want to prioritize sleep. Sleep is important, yes. But at the same time, if you overly worry about sleep, it's actually going to make it even harder to sleep. So you actually want to hold these two things together. Yes, sleep is important, but at the same time, I'm not going to worry too much about it because that's actually going to make it even harder. So that's a bit of a fine balance to strike. Now, finally, um, I want to talk about uh, a quiet mind and relaxed body because that can really help um, give sleep the best condition to happen. And because an active mind having lots of thoughts and um, tensed body can really take, make it harder for sleep to happen because that's the opposite of what sleep is. So if you want to create a quiet mind and relaxed body, it will be really helpful to wind down about a couple of hours before your typical bedtime. And if you combine that with some um, dark, like dimmer light and quiet activities, not working really hard in front of a computer, not stimulating arguments or conversations with people and anything that's gonna make you feel relaxed and calm could be very helpful for the couple of hours before bed. And if you find yourself like your mind racing, um, it's not always easy to kind of just get rid of the thoughts on your mind, just take it out, that's gonna be hard. So instead, what you could potentially do is focusing on your body, focusing on some phys physical sensation, like something concrete you can hold your mind to. Like when your body is relaxed, your mind will naturally follow. So you want to actually focus on something physical, focusing on your body, whether that's breathing, whether that's uh, relaxing your muscle, anything. I have some a slide later on with some apps that could potentially be helpful. And many of you might have also heard about things like relaxation or mindfulness exercises. There are quite a few um, things that you can find online these days. And one, uh, one thing I would like to mention if you are practicing some of those um, exercises is that for sleep it will, and really also for general well-being, uh, it will be really helpful if you can learn to do at least one or two even brief simple exercises without the tape. So you, you might want to learn some of these things with the tape so you know how it's done. But the ultimate goal of these tapes and guide is for you to learn to do these things so that you are able to do it when like you can pull this out of your toolbox anytime you want, essentially. Whether that's when you're on a very stress, stressful day or busy day, you go, okay, I'm just gonna take a moment to take the next breath in and breathe out and um, recognizing where I am and pull my mind to the present moment, like something like that. Then this is particularly helpful when you have trouble getting to sleep at night because you don't have to get up, find your phone, get, put your earplugs in and listen to the tape. You can just do that by yourself. And another really helpful thing to do is that uh, these exercises, sometimes they can be quite long, like 15, 20 minutes, but some really brief, it can be as brief as a few seconds, brief but frequent exercises throughout the day to release the tension in your body can be very, very helpful because each moment that you have made a difference to relax, get rid of the tension, those are the moments that's gonna make a break on that kind of vicious cycle of tension and kind of rumination cycle in your brain. So more brief and frequent exercises of these kind of relaxation exercise can be really helpful throughout the day. 
So I'm gonna have a little bit of quick summary. Basically get up around the same time every day is super helpful. And in terms of bedtime, going to bed only when you're sleepy and learn to ride the sleepiness wave is very helpful and pick the right time to go to bed. And we want very bright light in the morning and dim light in the evening. And don't fall asleep when you go to bed, focus on resting your body and don't focus on when am I gonna fall asleep yet. And stop counting the hours because the best way to tell whether or not you have had enough sleep is how you feel during the day. And sometimes we, when we're not feeling great during the day, we might kind of blame sleep. Like when we feel tired during the day, we might go, oh, I must be, I didn't have a good night's sleep. But there might be many different reasons we didn't, um, we are not feeling great. It might be that um, you're particularly fatigued and you're taking a lot of things on or you're in a low mood. So don't blame sleep for everything that happens during the day that when you're feeling tired. Now, I also talked about the really important um, balance between prioritizing sleep, recognizing sleep is important, but at the same time, also don't be overly concerned about occasional poor sleep. Okay, here are some um, helpful apps and tools. Um, I'll just shine through the slide. I can come back to here if anybody has questions. Um, I want to mention that Sleep Health Foundation has some really fantastic fact sheets about sleep. Um, and for people who travel, the jet lag rooster is great. Um, it, can, it can help you find the right um, light um, exposure to change time zones. When and where to get help. Now, um, it is normal to have occasional sleep problems. We all have that. But when sleep problems really affect how you feel during the day and beyond those occasional issues, that's a good sign that you probably need to see someone about it. And also if you're concerned, uh, concerned about having some really specific issues about sleep disorder, things like, things like insomnia, sleep apnea, restless legs, and these are things to see a sleep specialist for. And I want to say that most sleep disorders are really responsive for, to treatment. And um, we are seeing people getting uh, well pretty quickly. So if uh, get help early can really help getting good quality of life um, especially for the longer term. You don't have to suffer from it for a long time. And if insomnia um, is a concern, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is actually far better than sleep medication. I know that sometimes when you go to a GP, uh, the first thing you get prescribed is a hypnotic medication. But we have evidence showing that um, Cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which is a non-drug treatment, actually have comparable short-term effects for insomnia compared to hypnotic medication. And much longer term, it's actually much better because it will give you all the tools uh, in terms of how to manage your sleep longer term. Whilst sleep medications will potentially uh, give you um, dependence over a long time. And if you're thinking about um, seeking help for things like insomnia or body clock disorder, and you can see a sleep psychologist and these sessions are actually covered under the Medicare Better Access um, program. So you can get a mental health care plan from your GP um, to get treatment. And the Australasian Sleep Association, sleep.org.au has, uh, has some um, directory for sleep clinics that might be in your area. Now with that, um, I'm happy to take some questions. Thank you so much, Bay. And I, I don't know whether it's because I'm hearing sleep, 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 sleep all the time. I'm thinking, I think I'm on this, I'm on the sleepiness wave. 
<laughs> the wave is there. <laughs> it was all, it was all, it's all working for me. It's all working for me. Look, we've got some really interesting questions that have come through. The first one is that someone um, someone has put in the um, in the Q and A that they had heard that um, hypnosis can assist with um, overcoming some insomnia and restoring uh, healthier sleep patterns. Uh, is there evidence for this? What can you um, what can you say? There is some evidence for it, for it, and really, so the, the thing about hypnosis is that different people have different propensity for being receptive to hypnosis. So it, it might not work for everyone. Um, and I suppose it doesn't hurt to try if you're curious, but what I can say is that um, currently, in terms of non-drug-based treatment for insomnia, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia has the most robust um, evidence base because through many, many clinical trials and meta-analysis and, um, and systematic reviews all show that this is probably the most effective um, non-drug therapy for insomnia. Terrific. Thank you. I think that answers that question beautifully. Now we've got someone say, asking, is it normal to wake up several times in a night? That's a really, really good question. So um, if you are waking up briefly throughout the night for a few times, but you don't have trouble getting back to sleep, that's very normal. So um, the way our sleep works overnight is that we actually sleep through the night in sleep cycles. And each sleep cycle kind of is about 90 something minutes. Now, imagine the sleep cycle kind of is linked together like a sausage, well, like a sausage. Um, I don't know whether you guys can see me, but um, so as we go through each sleep cycle, we go through shallow sleep, deep sleep, and then dream sleep before we transition to the next sleep cycle. Now, in order for us to naturally transition from one sleep cycle to the next sleep cycle, we actually wake up. So for healthy sleep to happen, to transition from one sleep cycle to the other, we actually need that brief wake wakefulness. Now, when we were younger, um, often we have high sleep drive. We kind of sleep through these um, awakenings. And sometimes these can be very, um, very short so short that our brain don't even remember. We might wake up, but we fall back to sleep. We don't register and we don't remember. And that often happens when you don't actually remember waking up that many times. But sometimes we might notice we wake up and that is okay. So if you don't have trouble getting back to sleep, but you wake up briefly or throughout the night, that is totally um, normal and natural. I would say don't stress too much about it. That's really interesting because I think, uh, you know, uh, we, find, we find that I get, I certainly used to get quite stressed actually, you know, with uh, that waking up all the time and thinking, oh my goodness, I'm not getting enough quality sleep, which leads us to the next question. I did think, and I know that someone else thinks too, because I've got the question for it, that you can make up for the hours that you don't get during the week on the weekend. <laughs> Yeah, that's really, really, yes, I, I actually, yes, you, you can make up some. Um, and in fact, um, I had this talk last week about um, teenagers sleep. Now, if you have a chronic sleep restriction or deprivation of a relatively long period of time, this is when, uh, when like say teenagers are really sleep restricted during um, school days they really probably need another couple of hours more sleep each day during that whole week. So 
yes, they do do that, make up for the hours during the um, during the week weekends. But it's the occasional um, poor sleep you can make up some of that by sleeping deeper. Okay, that's good to know. So we're just coming out of lockdown. Yay, tomorrow. <laughs> But we've been spending a lot of time, probably more time indoors than we would have normally. And, and who's to say this is not going to keep happening from time to time. So what are some helpful tips for people who are, you know, staying indoors most of the time uh, to actually get a better night's sleep? What can they do if they're not going out and exercising like they were before? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, now, one of the biggest difference is probably when we're out and about, um, when when we don't stay indoor all the time, is that our body gets a lot more cues for time of the day. So uh, the body clock gets tuned by many different kinds of signals. But when we stay indoors, we actually want to compensate a little bit. Um, to give you, our body a little bit more signals. So um, things like getting up around similar time um, of rather than various different times of the, in the morning. So get up at consistent time and get bright light in the morning would be very helpful. So keep, um, keep your day active and have bright light during the day is very helpful and keep your evening quiet. So have really nice rhythm. So active during the day, bright and um, dark in the evening and um, have quiet activities. And even starting the day, um, the first meal of the day around the same time can give our body additional signals or start a conversation with like the initial conversation with someone around the same time in the morning can be very helpful. So all these things can be helpful in terms of giving your, giving your body additional time signal. We actually wrote a, um, a guide for um, how to uh, have healthy sleep patterns during uh, when, when staying indoors. And I'm happy to share the link. We actually got it translated to um, eight different languages. And we recently also wrote a guide on how to transition from a um, lockdown kind of staying indoors into back to work again. Like say, for example, sometimes people might have um, kind of drifted later, like um, got up later while doing while working from home. But now all of a sudden you have to take into consideration the commute time and you have to get up an hour to, to, or two hours earlier. So we, we've written a guide to help people make those adjustments in terms of sleep timing as well. And I don't know whether I can actually post it um, here, um, which I'm happy to maybe Q&A section. Um, oh, that'd be great. Can, no, thank can you. I type in here? Yes, you can, into the, into the chat, that'd be great. Um, if um, not, um, we, we'll get that from you. Yeah, and we can, uh, we we can, can, we can do that later. And socials, yeah. But that would be really helpful. So thank you so much. Um, Wow, that's interesting. Gosh, hasn't um, hasn't COVID um, really changed us <laughs> even even more again? You know that we're that we're having to come up with different ways of uh, of promoting sleep. Um, and I think it's really interesting. You're talking about bright light. I mean, one of the things that we uh, we have here naturally is bright light, and we don't have the some of the issues that some of our you know friends and family have in the northern um, in the northern hemisphere where they do have those seasonal those seasonal light uh, issues, you know, low, low light, and they, they do suffer quite badly. But uh, yep, 
fantastic. We're um, we've got good light, so let's make make use of it. Bay, thank you so much for um, being with us again this evening. Um, it's been fantastic having you across these two talks. Um, it just makes so much sense. It's actually incredibly simple to do you know to to um to do all those those hints and tips that you've been giving us just makes really good sense so um everyone thank you join me in thanking uh dr bay bay um for her wisdom insight and really really practical stuff um it's uh it's very it's been very uh very easy to listen to and it certainly gives you a bit of few challenges in terms of what we can do to help ourselves so thank you once again thank you for having me and uh, everyone, uh, we are going to be continuing our deep dive into sleep. Um, we've got another event coming up um, on the 4th, uh, sorry, on the 22nd of July, which is our fourth in the series. Um, and we're going to be speaking with Lisa Maltman from the Sleep Connection, uh, Sleep for Better Health, Resilience and Performance. So it's the 22nd of July. Have a look at the, uh, the website. We will have all of those details up there. And also too, um, Dr. Bay Bay is also the principal investigator for the class study that is being undertaken uh, and we're still looking for year seven students, I believe, Bay. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So we've got those details also on our website. Um, the Victorian Parents Council is a community partner. So we're very keen to assist with that because we know that sleep has come up as a really big issue. Parents were talking to us about that in all of the surveys that we were conducting over last year. So um, we, we've listened and we are giving you what you asked for um, in the All About Sleep series. So once again, Bay, thank you so much for your time. Thank you everybody for being with us this evening. Um, it's cold, it's rug up <laughs> and uh, enjoy the freedom uh, as the doors open again for us across Melbourne uh, tomorrow. Okay, thanks everyone, good night. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.